I thank God for all who have led us so beautifully in worship on this special morning. I thank God for all of you who are joining us here in person, as well as all of you who are joining us for worship online. Today, we begin a new sermon series called The Day That Changed Everything. It will be a three-part series in which we will look at different things that happened on the first Easter in Luke chapter 24. Today, we will begin with Luke 24. I'll read verses 1 through 12 from the New Revised Standard Version. And the title of my sermon is The Empty Tomb. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again? Then they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. Then he went home, amazed at what had happened. Let us pray. Oh God, I want to lift up to you our dear friend Faye as she receives the medical attention she needs. We pray, God, that you would bring her comfort and healing. God, we are grateful for this opportunity to worship you together. Help us to worship in spirit and truth. And in this preaching moment, I simply ask that you would help me to speak your word. Help them to hear your word. And Lord, help us all to do your word. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The story of Easter commences with a group of women walking toward the cemetery in order to pay their respects for a dearly departed loved one. I have taken similar walks to the cemetery with many families weaving our way through a maze of gravestones until we reach the burial plot of their beloved. I remember one time walking through pouring sleet in the bitter chill of winter with the icy grass of the graveyard crunching beneath our feet. I remember another time at a graveside when a thunderstorm suddenly rolled in and struck and the little tent that the funeral home had erected could not keep 
the rain from getting on me and my guitar and drenching several of the worshipers there. I remember multiple occasions over the past two years walking to the cemetery with a handful of family members and friends of the beloved as we spread out on the cemetery grounds wearing masks. We were unsure whether to hug each other or shake hands or fist bump or wave at a distance due to the possibility of terrible contagion. The conditions surrounding loss can sometimes make things even worse. This was certainly the case for the women who were walking to the cemetery on the first Easter morning. They had witnessed the previous Friday as their beloved Jesus was crucified. They had watched as he suffered terribly and died in public shame. Compounding their trauma was the perfunctory nature of Jesus' burial. When someone died in New Testament times, the corpse would normally be washed with perfumes and ointments wrapped in strips of cloth and carried by procession to a tomb. There, eulogies would be spoken and the body would be placed inside the tomb. Tragically, there was no time for all this when Jesus died. Joseph of Arimathea didn't get the body off the cross till about 4.30 in the afternoon. The sun usually set about 6 o'clock that time of year, and the body had to be in the tomb by sundown because the Sabbath was beginning. So all Joseph of Arimathea really had time to do was wrap the body in strips of cloth real quick and then go put it in the tomb. There was no time to wash the body with the perfumes and ointments. There was no time to honor Christ with the full ceremony. There was no time for eulogies to be spoken. No time for loved ones to say goodbye. So the women who saw Jesus buried without a proper funeral went home and got spices and perfumes ready so that after the Sabbath they could visit his tomb and anoint his body and hold his funeral. When you love someone deeply, there's a desire to honor them when they pass. It's only right. As a pastor, I have met with many families who are planning a service to honor their departed loved one. When I was pastoring in North Carolina some years ago, we had an elderly member of our church who passed, and her family wanted a simple graveside service for her. I went and met with the family, and while I was there, I noticed that one person who was present was an adorable little girl, four or five years old, the great-granddaughter of the deceased. She was doing her best to manage her own sense of childlike joy in the context of this obviously sad situation. She would smile at me, and then she would duck behind her mother with shyness. She'd peep out and smile at me again, then she'd duck behind her mother again. At the end of the meeting, we had a prayer together, and after the prayer, I noticed that the little girl whispered something to her mother. And her mother told me that the little girl had something she wanted to give me. So I walked over and I 
I bent down and the little girl came up to me and she placed in my hand a little gray stone. It was a rather common looking rock, but I knew in that moment that I had been given a special gift. I looked at her and I said, thank you so much, sweetie. And she smiled at me and I smiled at her. We all have to find creative ways to manage periods of grief, but it was almost as if she was sharing a secret with me when she gave me the gift of that simple stone. A stone, of course, figures prominently in the Easter narrative as well. Mark's Gospel says the women who were walking toward the cemetery on Easter morning were worried about who would roll the stone away. Ancient tombs, you see, were basically caves with people buried inside. The tombs were sealed with a large, heavy, round stone that was rolled against the entrance to seal the tomb and keep out wild animals. There would be no way for the women to anoint Jesus' body with perfumes and spices, no way for them to hold his funeral if they could not get past the stone at the entrance of his tomb. But when they reached the tomb on Sunday morning, they found that the stone had been rolled away. With their curiosity now, Peaked, the women stepped inside the tomb to investigate. Early morning sun rays, the kind that reveal every dust particle in the air, must have illumined the interior of Jesus' grave as the women discovered that his body was gone. The body they had personally seen buried there Friday afternoon was nowhere to be found on Sunday morning. The tomb was empty. Now, an empty tomb might sound like a fairy tale to some, but there is considerable historical evidence supporting it. Matthew's gospel reports that some people started a rumor that Jesus' disciples had come in the night and had stolen his body. Even the opponents of early Christianity knew that Jesus' tomb was empty. That's why they had to explain it with a rumor. In fact, if the tomb of Jesus had not been empty, all the opponents would have had to do would be to produce his body, and the entire Christian movement would have been terminated altogether. But what if the disciples really did steal the body and then fabricate this story that Jesus arose from the dead? That is highly unlikely. And let me tell you why. In Acts chapter 12, we read that King Herod had the disciple James put to death by the sword on account of his faith. If James had been in on a plot to steal Jesus' body and make up a story of his resurrection, surely he would have renounced his disingenuous faith when they pulled out a sword to slay him for it. Early New 
early Christian writings add that Peter also was martyred. He was crucified upside down. Now, if he had been in on a scheme to steal Jesus' body and fabricate a story of his resurrection, surely Peter, who had denied Christ three times previously, would have denied him once more when he got sentenced to the cross for his phony faith. Besides Judas, who betrayed Christ, ten of the eleven remaining disciples died for their faith in Jesus. Only John died of natural causes, and that was after he had been exiled on account of his Christian commitment. Why would the disciples go through all this for a faith they knew to be a lie? Historically speaking, this claim is so unlikely that it's really untenable. The tomb of Christ was clearly empty and not because the disciples had stolen Jesus's body. Still, the meaning of the empty tomb was not immediately clear. Verse 4 says the women were perplexed. The Greek term indicates mental confusion. They weren't sure what had happened or what it meant. Fortunately, two men in dazzling attire showed up to explain. They were angels, messengers of God. Perhaps there were two of them in order to meet the requirement in Deuteronomy 19.15 that everything be confirmed by the testimony of two witnesses. In any case, they said to the women, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here but has risen. This is the news that changed everything. He is not here, but has risen. This is the essence of Easter. He is not here, but has risen. This is the foundation of Christianity. He is not here, but has risen. This is the news that turned all of history. He is not here but has risen. This is the word that still brings Christians together today, 20 centuries later. He is not here, but has risen. The announcement bespeaks real resurrection, not a mere metaphor. Luke is not saying the disciples had a psychological experience that made Jesus live on in their hearts. He's not saying Jesus' life was so beautiful that some of his admirers decided to say that he had risen from the grave as a way of keeping his memory alive. No, Luke is saying that Jesus of Nazareth, an actual historical person, died on a Friday afternoon and was dead as a doornail for about 36 hours. Then on Sunday morning, he arose from the grave. This was not a resuscitation to his former life on earth, but a resurrection to his new life in glory. Jesus' resurrection was a real event that transformed reality. It was a historical 
event that altered history. It was an actual event that actualized life after death. There is mystery here to be sure, marvelous mystery, irreducible mystery. But the resurrected Christ cannot be downgraded to a metaphor of the church's experience. Christ is resurrected whether we believe it or not. Christ is risen whether we experience him or not. When the disciples saw the risen Christ later in Luke 24, they thought he was a ghost. We thus infer that his resurrected body looked a bit different than his body did previously. Yet he went on to show the disciples his flesh and bones, and he invited them to touch him. We thus infer that his resurrected body was just as tangible as the stone that was rolled away from his grave. After all that, the disciples handed the resurrected Jesus a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it right there in front of them. Metaphors do not eat tilapia. Luke is indicating that God raised Jesus from the dead in a mysterious way, yet a concrete way. In a perplexing way, yet a visible, touchable way. The resurrection is God's vindication of Jesus. It's God's resounding yes to everything Jesus stood for. The resurrection means Jesus is the Messiah that he claimed to be. It means his words are God's words. His ways are God's ways. His actions are God's actions. And his character is God's character. The resurrection means that Jesus is Lord of all creation. It also means that death has been defeated. The grave has been conquered. Christ has cleared the path to everlasting life, so we no longer need fear our own demise. Death is real, but death is not ultimate. Death is fierce, but death is not final. There are ellipsis points after death, dot, 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 because there is more life to come. This news of life after death brings fresh freedom and confidence to our life before death. For believers in Christ's resurrection, our life here and now is irreversibly transformed. For believers in Christ's resurrection, fear withers and love flourishes. Bitterness shrivels and joy proliferates. Anxiety diminishes and peace multiplies. Disappointment shrinks and hope stands tall. We are unconquerable souls following an unconquerable Savior. 
And why then weren't the women jumping up and down the moment they discovered the empty tomb? Why weren't they rejoicing and shouting and celebrating to high heaven? Evidently, the very real difficulties of life had caused their memory of Jesus to blur, had caused their faith to get fuzzy. Their experiences of disappointment, heartache, injustice, and grief had caused them to forget things about Jesus. The same thing sometimes happens to us modern-day disciples when the difficulties and heavy burdens of real life cause our memory of Jesus to blur and our faith to become fuzzy. Notice that the angel said, remember. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again. The instruction at the tomb of Christ is to remember. It makes perfect sense because the Greek term for tomb in verse 2 is nameon, which literally means place of remembrance. It's related to our English term mnemonic, as in a mnemonic device that helps us to remember something. The empty tomb, therefore, is a mnemonic, an effective reminder, not of a dead person buried there, but of the living Christ who taught us the truth, who showed us God's love, who died on the cross for our sins, and who arose from the grave on the third day in order to grant us everlasting life. The empty tomb sparks our memory of Christ, bringing clarity amid all our confusion, healing amid all our heartache, hope amid all our disappointment, and strength amid all our struggles. I have taken many walks to the cemetery with people who are grieving in order to help them grieve and in order to remind them of the empty tomb. I have walked through sleet, through thunderstorms, and through pandemic to remind people of the great hope of Jesus' empty tomb. But there was one trip to the cemetery when someone reminded me instead. It was a sunny afternoon in western North Carolina when the family and I made our way through the maze of gravestones to the burial plot of their beloved. Once everyone had taken their seats, I walked up to the front to begin the service. And before I started, I noticed sitting on the front row beside her mother, that precious little four or five-year-old girl, the great-granddaughter of the deceased. And I reached into my pocket and I pulled out that gray stone she had given me a couple of days before and I held it up and I showed it to her. And when she saw it, she smiled. And I smiled right there in the graveyard. For a stone reminds us of the stone that was rolled away. 
And the stone that was rolled away reminds us of the empty tomb. And the empty tomb reminds us of the Savior that death could not hold. The Savior that death could not keep down. The Savior that death could not overpower. The Savior that death could not defeat. The Savior who died but arose again. The Savior who suffered severely for us but is living still. The Savior who was confined to a tomb but is now up and on the loose. The Savior who got up on Sunday morning and said, Peace be with you. The Savior who got up on Sunday morning and said, Do not fear. The Savior who got up on Sunday morning and said, Do not doubt, but believe. The Savior who got up on Sunday morning and said, Lo, I am with you you always the savior who showed his disciples his flesh and bones as living proof that life goes on beyond death that life outlasts death that life outstretches death that life outlives death that life goes on and on in the glorious kingdom of heaven where there is fullness of love and joy and peace and that all of this incredible life this overflowing life this abundant life this eternal life is ours it is ours through Easter faith in our crucified and resurrected Savior. Hallelujah. Thanks be to God. Christ is risen. Amen.